Geowitch and welcome back to the study of the Gospel according to St. Luke. Today we will be looking at Luke 1, 8-9. Now before we do, I want to establish a bit of context. I mentioned briefly in the last video that Zechariah was shown to be from the division of Abijah rather than being a descendant of him. I didn't explain it properly then and I won't go into a large amount of detail now but I will give a rundown of the basics. Essentially, there were 24 priestly lines, all coming from Aaron's 24 grandchildren. After the exile, only four remained. These four re-split into 24 groups in order to carry on the tradition. So while Zechariah is not a descendant of Abijah, he does belong to that group. So with that out of the way, let's get straight into it. Luke 1, 8-9 Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So here we see that Zechariah was performing his duties in the temple. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The way this worked was that the 24 divisions I mentioned before would work on rotation throughout the year. This is because there were a lot of priests at the time. I have seen some estimates that said there were as many as 20,000 priests at that one point in time. So it was a rare thing to even be in the running for the position which Zechariah obtained here, but more on that in a moment. Because it was so rare, it was a very special thing. The Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges said that uh, this day would likely have been the most memorable of Zechariah's life, even if the angel hadn't come, which we will discuss in the next video. But what was Zechariah doing? Well, he was going to burn incense in the temple and offering to the Lord. In fact, this verse even says that he was doing it before the Lord, as if the Lord was there with him. What the verse is most likely referring to was the symbols of the Lord which were in the temple. Now we move on to verse 9. So here we see that Zechariah was chosen by means of casting lots to go into the temple and burn incense. I've already spoken about how big of a deal this was, but I see no harm in labouring on the point just a little bit longer. To be chosen by God through the means of casting lots to go into the temple and burn incense was, as I have said, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There were those who never got to do it. If you were the one, one of the ones who got to do it, you would never do it again. It was just such a rare thing. The verse tells us that the way someone was chosen was by casting lots and getting, uh, letting God control the outcome to see who won. The, chosen, uh, sorry, the closest modern day equivalent would be rolling a die or tossing a coin. But this begs the question, are we supposed to cast lots today or roll dice or toss coins? There are a few verses in the Bible that show people casting lots. In John 19, 23-24 we read, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it uh, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And in Jonah 1, 4-7 we read, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each carried out, uh, cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep so the captain came in and said to him what do you mean by your sleeper arise call out to your God perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish and they said to one another come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So we have examples of people in the Bible casting lots. But that doesn't mean the Bible approves it. Just because the Bible documents something, that doesn't mean 
that it's saying that it's the right thing to do. So now the question is, does scripture ever command the casting of lots? The answer is yes. Yes, it does. Get ready for a lot of scripture quotes. Number, uh, Numbers 26, 55. But the land shall be divided by lot according to the names of the tribes of their fathers they shall inherit. Numbers 33, 54. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a, tri- a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Wherever the lots the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his according to the tribes of your fathers you shall inherit. Numbers 34, 13. Moses commanded the people of Israel, saying, This is the land that you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and the half-tribe. Numbers 36, 2. They said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for inheritance by lot to the people of Israel, and my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, to his daughters. It's also shown to be used when making decisions about worship. 1 Chronicles 24, 5. They divided them by lot, all alike, for there were scattered officers and officers of God among both the sons of Eliezer and the sons of Itamar. Then again in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 31. These also, the head of each father's house and his young brother alike, cast lots, just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron, in the presence of the king David. Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the priests and of the Levites. But that's all the Old Testament. Are there any examples of casting lots being commanded in the New Testament? Well, no. Casting lots is shown as a way of figuring out God's will in Acts 1, 21-26, but it's never commanded. So, uh, so this is Acts 21, sorry, 1, 21-26. So one of the men who have command accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, uh, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called who was also called Justus and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these to you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So does this mean that we should do it now? Does this mean we should cast lots today in order to make decisions or see what God wants us to do? No, I don't think so. As I said, casting lots was always done as a way of figuring out God's will. But we have another way of doing that. The Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's word. It is sufficient. God didn't forget to tell us anything when inspiring the Bible. He pushed everything in there that we would ever need. So why was casting lots done by the disciples in the New Testament and even commanded by God in some places in the Old Testament? Well, to answer that question, let's ask another. Were these instances before or after the New Testament was written? The answer is that they were all before. 
The disciples cast lots before Pentecost had even taken place there, mind the New Testament being written. And of course, all of the examples of the Old Testament also took place before the New Testament. But I would hope that you would already know that. Also, every example we see of God either commanding or allowing casting lots was a special case. It is not seen as the proper thing to do whenever you are unsure of something. Since we have God's holy word fully revealed to us, we do not need anything more. To cast lots now would almost be an insult to the Bible and therefore to God. R.C. Sproul said that it was like a substitution for magic. But if God ordains all things, which he does, does that not mean that he would ordain the way a game of chance would go? Well, yes, he would. However, that does not mean he is telling you what you should do by ordaining the outcome. I'll give you an example from my own life. Once a fair bit ago, while I was still quite spiritually immature, still quite a new Christian, I was fairly desperate to know what decision I needed to make about a certain private matter, which I won't disclose here. Um, so I took a coin and I prayed something. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like, God, if you want me to do this, make this coin land on heads or something like that. I tossed the coin and it landed on heads. So I had my answer, but I wasn't sure of it. I didn't really like the answer, to be honest. Um, so I flipped again, and this time I got tails. You might think that God had chosen to answer me the first time, but maybe not the second. Perhaps he didn't feel the need to give an answer the second time. I don't think so. Judges six thirty-three to 40 Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So God is not against proving himself multiple times if he is asked to. So why did I get a different answer when I tossed the coin? It's because God was never answering my question. All he was doing was making a coin land. It would have to land on either heads or tails. He made it land on heads first. Not so that I would think that was my answer, but perhaps, and I'm really just guessing here, I think one of the reasons um, he did it was so that I would feel unsure of the answer and toss the coin a second time. Then, when I got a different result, I would see that this wasn't a viable way of having my questions answered. If you are in a predicament and you want to know what God wants you to do, search the scriptures. See if there is a precedent for what you are about to do, and if there is, follow that precedent. Now, if there isn't one set out in scripture, then it becomes a matter of your own choice. But you must choose wisely. As a Christian, you have freedom. But if your conscience is telling you not to do something, then you shouldn't do it. Christian freedom means that we can follow our conscience when scripture is unclear about the matter. It doesn't mean that we can ignore our instincts in favour of worldly pleasures. 
Now, so far, when it comes to casting lots, I've been assuming that there is a genuine desire to know God's will. But what if um, you want to test God, let's say? What if you want to toss a coin and say, if it lands on head, God wants me to kill someone? Well, then you are sinning. Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Luke 4.12, and Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test God, ever. He will not play your games. If the coin from the scenario I described a minute ago lands on heads, that is not a sign that God wants you to sin by murdering someone. To try and tempt God is a disgusting thing at the best of, t- the best of times. To try and tempt him with a system that is not even functional is just downright silly. So, with all that being said, we can now begin our study of Luke 1.9. No, okay, I'm only messing up seriously. It's about time to get back to the verse. So, with everything I've just said, were Zechariah and the other priests sinning by casting lots? No, no, of course they weren't. Casting lots was used a lot during rituals at the time, often being commanded by God, as we saw with all the verses I cited earlier. They were in a situation where they were supposed to do it. There wasn't anything sinful about it. So, now we get into the application. I mean, what are the applications of these verses? Well, from the uh, from verse 9... Uh, Not much, unfortunately. But I believe that the discussion around casting lots will eventually lead us to the topic of the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, If we want to know what God wants, we should check his inspired word, not flip a coin and hope for the best. His word should be our ultimate guide. As well as that, the verse can tell us something about worship, verse 8 can. You see, I think a lot of the time we look at the rituals of the Old Testament Um, the way God demanded to be worshipped, and so on. And we forget, we are still worshipping that same God. People took it very seriously back then, but they don't really take it so seriously now. That's not to say that we should worship in the exact same way as people in the Old Testament did, nor am I saying that no one today cares about worshipping God properly. But we see people who are a lot more relaxed and a lot more careless when it comes to worship. If we look at Leviticus 10, 1-2, we see that it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The God we worship today is the same God that killed two people for failing to properly worship him. That's how important it is to do it properly and with proper respect, love and reverence. It is not a casual thing. Moses took it seriously. Aaron took it seriously. Zechariah took it seriously. Paul took it seriously. Christ took it seriously. So why don't people today take it seriously? We cannot forget the importance of proper worship. Like I said, We don't have to do it the same way Zechariah and the priests at the time did it. We don't have to do it the same way Aaron did it. But we do have to do it properly. It matters that we get it right. 
Um, so much, I'm sorry that we spent so much time on these verses rather than getting into the part with the angel, but we will be covering that next time. That is, of course, unless I somehow manage to stretch verse 10 into a 15 or 20 or so minute video, but I doubt that even I will be able to do that. I just think that the subjects which I covered today were interesting and I'm glad to have been able to take the, this opportunity to talk about them. I uh, hope you liked this video, found it enjoyable, but most of all, I hope you found it edifying. Thank you for watching and God bless.